Howdy, folks. This is Harold Jarbo, a.k.a. The Old Hemp Farmer, and I'm chewing the fat with Mark Stepp of Uppercut Media in Los Angeles, which is cool. And by fat, you definitely mean fat today. <laughs> well, you know, in, in parlance is in a lot of cultures, fat is good. We're doing a Tennessee homegrown sponsored episode of Full Contact Cannabis where we come in and talk about cannabis and anything else that comes into our mind, especially mine, since I have ADD sort of on the air. So the first thing I want to talk about, you know, because it was, you know, got a twofold thing about segueing in, because Kentucky was on my mind this morning, more than one reason. One is in 2014, a scant almost 10 years ago, Kentucky legalized hemp and started their program full circle and, you know, do it, promoting fiber and things like that. Full circle. Now the USDA is wanting to promote growing hemp for fiber. But the other reason Kentucky's on my mind, those folks that follow full contact cannabis, they know that Mark Stepp is from Kentucky, born and raised the whole bit got blue running through his veins and all that. And because of that, he suffers from a condition called UK fever. This time of year, people from Kentucky literally lose their ever friggin' minds following the University of Kentucky basketball. Or lack thereof. <laughs> <laughs> and Kentucky poor Kentucky, which is hard to feel sorry for the most winning program in college basketball history. You know, it's hard to feel sorry for them, but they started off rather rocky this year, didn't they? Well, they've actually started off rather rocky, definitely the last three years and kind of started a downward spiral five years ago. But uh, especially last year when they had a good team and lost in the first round to a uh, St. Peter's, I believe, I think uh, most of us are still stinging from that. And as we touted, of course, another fantastic recruiting class this year, uh, they've stumbled until the last two games. Do Are they still talking Kentucky fans off the ledge or has people went back in the window yet? But it seems like the way the announcers were talking, most everything was forgiven after they beat Tennessee the other day. And I would imagine based on last night's game the rest of it will be forgiven now i did not watch the tennessee game as you well know i boycotted for a bit <laughs> but uh i was in a position where i could have the kentucky game on in the background as i started wrapping up my day of work and they stumbled the first half down by 11 i believe at the half and we're not looking very good but uh something happened in that locker room at halftime and uh they were definitely a new team and actually looked like a Kentucky team, uh, especially based on the talent that they have. I don't want to bring up drugs or anything because Oscar Shibway is a, just a fantastic person, moral character. Having looked at the uh, the second half of that game, I was curious whether he was like three ener energy drinks up or what? <laughs> well, my my understanding is that uh, on Calipari's uh, radio show, uh, he called him out last week or whenever the show was and basically said that the guy needed to hit the gym, that he'd lost his edge, it's getting kind of lazy and uh, needed to come to games to play. And uh, whether that sparked uh, 
something inside the kid or it was something else. Um, he was definitely a new player last night. Now, he played pretty good the whole game. The team struggled together the first half, but he he was yeah he his his numbers were what they should be in most most games, but he definitely dominated in the second half and and even the highlights I watched from the Tennessee game in last night they they seem to have woken up to play a more physical ball where definitely up until the Tennessee game they didn't really seem to want to play or get into a, a street fight in a game. Let me get this right. You didn't check out any of the highlights from the Tennessee game until Kentucky creamed Georgia? No, no. I checked them out before. Oh, okay. All right. I was going to say. But I did did not sit there and watch the entire Tennessee game live when it was happening. Uh, Actually, I was working. But even once I did see the score, I didn't watch the whole thing. I just uh, watched the highlights and read a little so but you watched the georgia game i did watch the georgia game so what Uh, happened to the streak at one point you were not (laughs) you didn't watch it it was all of a sudden uh, yeah yeah i i uh i'll wrap myself out here i said i wasn't going to watch again until march and only then if they were improving so uh yeah the condition in me the uk fever i guess (laughs) uh took hold yesterday and uh i just couldn't not watch (laughs) <laughs> actually by the end of the first half i was regretting <laughs> my dumb move i was like oh boy here so we go they'd have to take your shoelaces and stuff will belts away no uh, oh yeah yeah i was uh, i was actually in my own house there's knives here so. <laughs> it's like no must uh, no <laughs> sort of. uh but the other reason we're going to talk about kentucky is twofold one is, like I said, the USDA is funding programs, which for try to do fiber hemp, kind of, although Colorado was the first year, Kentucky was the first real state to jump in as far as having state funding. Uh, Mitch McConnell was on it. There was all these tobacco farmers. And quite frankly, the people of Kentucky thought that the state was going to be like a cannabis epicenter. And then it got stagnant. And then last year, your governor tried to declare medical marijuana, and that has went weird. Yeah, out of the chute, or as we should say, out of the starting gate, they definitely jumped in and got to the rail fast. They were there was a lot of people farming, cultivating hemp when it first got going mostly for fiber, but they were seeing the future. And I I think that probably most farmers there have have experienced overproduction all their life um, and whatever they're growing. But now they seem to have uh, realized that overproduction is a rampant thing here in our lovely hemp business. And I think they relate to the game uh, getting into medical and still a very conservative state politically whether they have a democratic governor or not. Well, this year, uh, the farm bill is being renewed. Yes. And and for those folks that don't know, pretty well the modern cannabis, as far as hemp-derived cannabinoids, all started out in 2014. It was a, an obscure little part of a quite lengthy bill that just basically redefined what marijuana was and what hemp was. It's, you know, like the poster child of unintended consequences. 
because the whole reason the USDA and and being pushed pushed a whole bunch by Mitch McConnell of Kentucky was the fact that they were going to promote hemp as either hemp seed oil or fiber, and no one really kind of understood what they did. And basically, here we are, 2023, and the consequences of that are profound. Now, because of that obscure, meaning that uh, anything under 0.3 Delta 9 THC was legal, it opened up a whole industry for CBD, DA, THCA, THCB, THCO, P, all that. And now it's come full circle because basically, how would you put uh, the hemp-derived cannabis industry? Like a train wreck, Wild Wild West? <laughs> um, I'm not going to say train wreck. Yeah, definitely Wild Wild West and kind of always has been. But I think there's a little bit of a uh, step back and take a look at uh, what what we did <laughs> and maybe learn from it or resurrect it in a way that is more um, of a better business and profit model across the board. I, I think it was uh, a lot of cash grabbing and a lot of get rich quick schemes. And it was a highly regulated illegal substance until it became unregulated. And I think maybe it was unregulated too much for kicking in to the start of it. And that was kind of part of what I really kind of wanted to talk about was the USDA and the FDA kind of either through ignorance or whatever, kind of just stood back as all this unfolded. And now this year, uh, the farm bill is up for, you know, to be redone or how whatever you want to call that. And now they're going to be forced to reckon with all these things. And I don't know if they can, once the genie's out of the bottle, can you get the genie back in the bottle? Yeah, no, that that's a, <clears throat> a very good point. And and I feel like uh, they may have broken the bottle. Well, I was going to say, and what's interesting is now the fight between the people in legal recreational cannabis who now feel entirely threatened by the hemp-derived cannabinoids. And rightly so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it is. It's the whole thing, you know, like in our state, I mean, I, like I said, steps in L.A., I'm in Tennessee, and Tennessee has a very unregulated cannabis market. You know, there are now people starting to go, well, hey, wait a minute, this yeah. is not what we wanted. Well, and, and relative to that, I mean, Humboldt County here is suffering. Some of it's based on the infiltration of the hemp business as well. Humboldt was the ultimate of gray market and of eventually compliance, and now overproduction they're just they're in trouble the bentleys are gonna leave (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the one thing i've noticed that you know is and you would think that the single largest cannabis market on the planet and that is california more consumers more producers whatever and now i'm getting direct mail solicitations of dispensaries and or producers that have their business up for sale. It's very quiet um, here. So, hey, you know, you, you know, you're in show business. And once you have a degree of success, you do. You got to either buy a vineyard 
or a cannabis company. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot you did that once. And now, yeah, I uh, did that once. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> not the not the vineyard. Maybe that's uh, next. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I was talking to someone yesterday, um, and they have some friends um, that are have been in the vineyard business for a long time and they are moving their vineyard operation to Texas. You know, you got the foothills and black hills up there in Northern Texas, very similar to the hills up in Northern California, maybe a little bit less, but they cannot afford to do business in this state anymore due to over uh, regulation and taxation. You do kind of wonder with the way that the FDA and the USDA have avoided recreational while at the same time having really strict rules and the most horrible taxes. Is Was that the whole thing is that they were just going to let the industry self-destruct? Yeah, or maybe, you know, I, from a political government side, it was probably all about revenue streams. And they maybe said, let's set it up and then see how we can monetize our revenue streams or taxes on the back end. It kind of got out of hand pretty fast. And maybe this has been the whole, the curse of cannabis is that everybody, whether it's in law enforcement or big business, whatever, sees cannabis as a cash cow. And then it's like, how can we go in and squeeze out as much milk as we can? And if we got to kill the cow, well, that's that happens. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if this environment is similar to what happened when prohibition ended. Well, that's might be a very, very good correlation because I kind of studied. You know, most people thought it was during prohibition studied it. I have kind of looked into the few years following prohibition ended one thing it was nine or ten years after they ended it before all states ended the prohibition in their state it all rolled out differently it all rolled out separate you know i mean each state had their own little fiefdom which they controlled how it was done in fact there was only four or five distillers in the state of tennessee up into the year 2000 wow i did not know that yeah and I mean, seriously, like Lynchburg was almost like designated where it's where Jack Daniels was almost like, you know, a reverent little place. And then, of course, once they opened it up, then there was a boom. And quite frankly, as as you know about the microbrewery business, all of a sudden there were everybody was doing it. And all of a sudden now microbreweries were closing. Yep. <laughs> And even some distilleries. I mean, I'm still shocked, uh, you know, since we are stock- talking about Kentucky, the, you know, the bourbon business is is ridiculous right now. Like, there's so much money flowing into it. I, I'm a little worried about oversaturation, no pun intended, there too. You know, wasn't five or six years before the pandemic that the, the bourbon industry itself was kind of suffering. Now they went and started making hand sanitizer during the pandemic. Most of them did. I don't know how I thought it shook out with the government paying them back or not. I heard rumors. Nope. But every time I'm there, I drive from Nashville to Lexington. The amount of rickhouses that are going up is just crazy. And that does lead one to wonder how long are people going to pony up? And the prices are crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tennessee Homegrown, which is our sponsor and company out 
we're in liquor stores here in Tennessee. You can put cannabis products in. So I'm in there as starting. I mean, you know, if you want to try to get any name bourbon for less than 60 bucks a pop, that's like, you know, 10, 12 years older, you can't. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's, that's another thing that's strange to me is that, uh, I mean, I can understand with everything happening, supply chain and pandemic and prices went up a little bit, but also you don't have to just make bourbon in Kentucky anymore. Uh, another pet peeve of mine that Kentucky fever or whatever, I don't agree, but they loosen those laws. So there's more manufacturers, distillers that are making bourbon that are all over the country. And uh, I'm not an expert, but you do read that some of it's getting you know, pretty good reviews, pretty good points in those competitions and things. So that's another additive of, wow, there's a lot of market out there, but I, it just, it, it amazes me, but I guess the marketing of it, they think more people are going to start drinking liquor, I guess. How much of this is, you know, once again, like cannabis, one of the things I had a person who uh, was hitting us up to do work for us. And they had been an employee of Canopy Growth, hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's just like here, the poster child for a big business coming in, trying to get in on a craze and basically fucking it up. Yeah. How, how did, uh, what did they do for Canopy? Their marketing. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, and it's just like, and then you wonder how much a special product. I'm not really a bourbon drinker, but my dear old mom was. Right. The bourbon she drank was from Kentucky. But here it was. It was almost like, uh, you know, what do you want to call it? Champagne can only be made in France in this yeah. certain locale. Yep. And and that was pretty well the case. What, what was there was like a 60 mile, mile diameter where almost all the bourbon was made in Kentucky. The bourbon trail. Bourbon Trail, yeah, it all started in you know, Bardstown and spreads out from there. And they were small, well, not small, but smaller family-owned businesses. They were manufacturing, producing a lot of bourbon. You know, only the distilleries in Kentucky were getting the stuff out the door. It seems like big business has really messed up cannabis, and it seems like big business is going to do the same thing to bourbon. Yeah, I think the thing that bugs me is what's my little thing about the USDA and the FDA about coming in on an an industry that granted greed got people into. But once the the industry was established, just to kind of just stand back and see if, well, is it going to work or not work? And they're doing it to the same thing. And the people that are going to get hurt are those smaller families, smaller families that grow cannabis, smaller families that have distilleries. Yes. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's the Home Depot theory. And so here we go. I don't know how many distilleries are distressed, but I would guarantee probably a good 40% I don't have positive cash flow. And the, the horrible thing about bourbon worse versus cannabis is, is that you can spend a huge, huge amount of money in bourbon and not know what your pro- your returns are till 12 years later. Yeah. Well, now it's four. Uh, but yes, 
Well, if you want to do the premium, you want to sell that thing, you know, pull it off at about 110 proof and pack a hundred dollar bottle. Well, and, and, and this is where big business comes in too, because of late any distilleries that were opening, you know, either from ground up or taking an old abandoned still and, you know, refurbing it and starting to manufacture, they all immediately made gin and vodka as well. So you don't have to age it. Their revenue stream started off immediately as opposed to, yeah, let's barrel up a bunch of bourbon, throw it in a rickhouse and hope to God in four years it's, it's you know, drinkable. And I think that's a model that I'm sure big business brought because they're not going to throw a bunch of money at something and wait eight years to Whoa. start seeing recoup. Big money thought they knew what they were doing and got in. And I'm talking about cannabis right now. If you want to yeah. talk about canopy, there's a whole bunch of poster right. child of these people that knew nothing about an industry and yeah. went in there and threw money at it. And my whole point is that, that basically that's how small cannabis farmers got bit. is this whole point of coming in here. And now the large publicly traded cannabis companies, almost none of them make money, have been losing money for years with the whole idea as it's some like 2025 or whatever mythical time that all of a sudden they'll come in, all the small guys will drop out and they'll make money. They uh, had the grow it, it will sell mentality, a little field of dreams out there. (laughs) This partial government control, the USDA, FDA, U.S. what alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, which how that all got in one group, who knows, are, <laughs> are now, you know, trying to, you know, to sort of kind of put, guide all this. And then basically it ends up because of the rules and regulations that they come up with, it only favors those people with big pockets. So, so here we are, went through big bunches, you know, the COVID, all this government upheaval and things like this. And we're now at this period of time where it's almost like the uh, sparrows going back to Capistrano. We have a whole host of legislation I think so far in the United States, there's been over 200 cannabis bills filed so far this year. We still don't have interstate banking. The FDA has totally uh, looked the other way or whatever because they have nothing to do with recreational cannabis, yet they're the Food and Drug Administration. We have the USDA, which is supposed to oversee like things that grow, plants, which the last time I checked, Cannabis was a plant, and the last time I checked, that uh, bourbon uses a boatload of friggin' corn. 51%. So here are these things, and we have uh, basically, I don't even know, is it they don't choose to have the correlations between what they do and what ends up, or it's collusion. Big business has colluded to keep the small guy out. I think it's definitely some of that, but kind of going back to what you were talking about, I'm not sure there's much knowledge in those positions. If there is knowledge, it's either unheard or misguided, but I think it was, uh, well, let's open the floodgates and we'll just watch it for a while and see what happens. And then people that are, quote, czars are trying to 
sort it out. And it's not, there's probably some great people involved, but to me, it still goes back to the attractiveness of a get rich kind of scheme that was never, ever, ever going to be there. Okay. All right. This is a question. Do you think the USDA and the FDA can kick the can down the road when it comes to recreational marijuana one more year? I think they will. (laughs) Uh, Whether they should be, I don't know. It's federally regulated, controlled by states. It's, you know, there's trouble right there. Well, the thing that busts my balls, here it is. I'm coming in here and I'm trying to be compliant and trying to do all the right things. I pay my taxes and all this, yet I have no idea at any moment that a bunch of people who know nothing about my industry are going to write a law that changes my livelihood. Right. And and that seems to be really pivotable in, a, in anything it has to do, what do you want to call it, with vices, tobacco, alcohol, cannabis. It's not so much what the science says, it's what the political climate is. Yeah. I mean, what do you think is going to happen in California? Do you think that, uh, what's your governor's name? Uh, yeah. Well, his real name is Newsom, but there's a lot of... Uh... <laughs> nicknames going around for him <laughs> but he he has made feeble attempts of trying to address the stuff that's happening to cannabis farmers that has all become way 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 back burner especially now that uh california is in debt where they've enjoyed a surplus of money for a long time they are you know suffering due to like a lot of other states, big business is leaving. So there's taxes that are gone. Uh, a lot of revenue is frozen during the uh, pandemic. What's going on in cannabis, they're not even, I don't I don't see much about it right now. I'm sure there's some and the people that are heavily involved in it, working with lobbyists or working with them or whatever. But right now it's state debt, it's homelessness, and it's weather problems that are seem to be at the uh, forefront of uh, politics in this state. The question is, you know, now it's like I said, the fear and loathing of what laws are going to change, what tax structures, schedule one, all that. Can legal cannabis really exist profitably? Hmm. That's that's actually a, a great future episode. <laughs> no, that's actually a very good question. Um, I mean, it doesn't seem to be working so far as much as there was a push for compliance here, because, you know, let's face it, the the gray market was, you know, holding true in California for decades. And, and I think people tried, but it just wasn't defined enough that that it was inconsistent. And then also people realized that, wow, I'm not going to make the same money I was making in addition to paying taxes, just the fee and the compliance and the regulations was making it extremely less profitable than if they were running in a gray market. And I think a lot of people either went back to gray marketing or perhaps got out of it. Because once again, we've been doing this correlation between, you know, like the bourbon business and the cannabis business. Yep. And the whole thing about it was, is that when there was a very small protected market 
in um, distillation, whether it was in Kentucky or Tennessee, they only allowed so many people. That was the period that it was most lucrative. And then when you do the do the correlations with cannabis, is that all this started when it was black market? You can make obscene amounts of money, right? And I think that whether the United States government or uh, the people producing cannabis want to admit it, the dealer mentality still permeates cannabis. Yes. And it's, as, and it's funny. It's been, what, going on 90-some years between uh, prohibition and yet the infatuation with bootleg moonshine. Like, okay, why is any infatuation with moonshine? Yeah, it, there's a television show that's very successful. <laughs> but I, mean, I have a friend in Texas who's hooked on it. I don't get it. You know, okay, great. These are backyard distillers doing their thing. I mean, it's, you know, it's reality television, so it's completely crap. But at the same time, there's still a fascination with it. And it, st- still people want to do it. You know, the law here is you can grow six plants in your own house or yard. And I'm sure there's a lot of people doing it. And some of them may have the idea that, you know, someday I'm going to be a big cannabis guy and my stuff will be great. I mean, I fantasized a little bit with the microbrewery. You know that. You yeah. Know? But you made good beer. <laughs> I, I did, but then, <laughs> but it's not. I mean, that's a, it's a long way to go to uh, have something be that at the same time consumable and profitable. And I think it's the same way in the cannabis business right now. So that's what I'm saying is all these years later, which the excise tax that, you know, strict regulation of how alcohol moves, how it's taxed, all is basically still an extension of the mentality that started prohibition. And here we have the same thing in cannabis that, you know, like me and Lee, Lee Crabtree, partner of mine, Tennessee Homegrown, talked about is if there was no, none of this outlaw stigma, let's face it, cannabis is boring. It's farming. It's boring as hell. Yeah. You, you don't see people getting excited about, you know, farming corn or soy. It's a yeah. business. It's a business, you know, strawberries. Woohoo. Go pick and your I own. Yeah. Guarantee you that probably working in a large, very, very large distillery like the ones they have in the Midwest where they chug out ethanol to be able to flavor it and seltzers. I'm betting that's not exciting either. <laughs> no. <laughs> and a saturated market now. <laughs> uh, isn't that, but see, but oh, seltzers are a perfect example of how all of a sudden somebody makes a little bit of money off. And now there's a gazillion uh, seltzers, hard seltzers. And all all the gazillion was, you know, large corporations jumping in. And probably the only people ever really made any money was White Claw, the people who started it. So here we are with this, you know, saturated market getting taxed out the wazoo. And we're all basically waiting around to see if possible something might happen to be able to give us another revenue stream. Sure. It's it's different about especially this whole hemp drive cannabis market because almost all the people in the hemp drive cannabis market are 90% of them fantasize about being in the recreational market 
which is me and you both know firsthand, is now a train wreck. Yep, officially. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, when you got prices, you know, literally tumbling by three hundred percent in less than two years, and you're starting a stockpile, that's a train wreck. Agreed. Do you think the places that are the legacy? Do you think that in, in California is the premier legacy cannabis place? Do you think that the glory days are gone? And is is there any chance that they can regain that? You know, I'll qualify myself, but again, no expert about it. I only know what I see or read. I would say they will not because of a couple of reasons. One, they have a choice to make. Okay, do I keep trying to be compliant? Do I, do I keep trying to play the game above board? Or do I go back to my old ways? Gray market, few people growing here, blah, blah, blah. There is also a cartel problem here in the state that is infiltrating uh, in a major way that is kind of being downplayed, but you do see some articles. And so I would say some of those people don't even want to put up with that anymore. If they were a person who made quality product for 10 or 15 years, they may be gone. There goes the market. Even when it legalized officially here, I would go to a dispensary and immediately notice the quality was gone or you had to work harder to find very good quality product. Before that, when it was med, everything was good. So the marketplace has muddled everything. Definitely. You know, I haven't been in a dispensary in a long time. So maybe I should go to one and, and kind of do a little recon and see what it's like. You know, Tennessee Homegrown has been supplying me pretty well. It's great product. Thank you for the plug. Uh, the, the thing that gets me is um, I do on occasion go into rec stores and, you know, sometimes get stuff, sometimes just to check it out. One of the interesting things is that in the places like Tennessee, which is, like I said, I know the most of, if you go into the smoke shops, I guess the best way to put them are places that promote hemp drive cannabinoids and, you know, glassware, vape pens, that sort of thing, is that they all now look like medical dispensaries that were in uh, Washington, Oregon, California 20 years ago. Really? Yeah. What happened to the mall looking like an Apple store? Well, it, nobody seems to care about that. When the interesting <laughs> thing is the phenomenon here in Tennessee is that, you know, the THCA flower, which is basically code word for marijuana light. I went into one of the places where I was dropping off product, legal products, damn it. And they had big jars of bud with all the same names of products out there. And I'm sorry, of course, I didn't have my little spectrometer on me, my gas spectrometer to see what it was or anything. Joke, joke. But it all looked like friggin' weed. It was being sold that way. Does anybody really care other than those people who have have to, to care about it? Right. So I guess I'm going to, damn. Quick hour. And so predictions on UK basketball? <laughs> well, wow. it comes back to UK basketball. Trying to sucker punch me here, buddy. No, I, I, I still have. I'm still on the on the fence of whether it's time to be faithful or not. Yet, <laughs> easy way out for me. But I mean, Georgia is a good team. 
but they were in Lexington and we lost to the worst team in the league uh, last week in Lexington. I think it's still kind of meandering to see if it holds. Uh, they, they had two great games and let's see if they continue to improve. There's three bench players that got to step up. And then if the five starters that they're settling in on will really dominate games. Well, B being living literally on the doorsteps of Vanderbilt, which yes. uh, our high, our dreams of this year is doing extremely well in the NIT tournament. Being a Vanderbilt fan is sort of like being in Tennessee wishing for recreational marijuana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, once again, you know, we didn't go into it, but I'll kind of finish up. In the states where people don't have recreational, it's a this strange concept of every year, you know, all these bills go to the state house, everybody gets all geeked up and they start saying, you know, this is gonna be the year. Yeah. And and just like Lucy pulling the football away from Charlie Brown, it never happens. Yeah. Well, and it and it's only a big deal until you have it. Well, that would be kind of interesting, you know, all the people in Tennessee who want recreational marijuana, and I know there's a gazillion, even though we have something so close now, you can scarcely tell the difference. It's like, once again, like I was saying earlier, is like, once we get this, then everything will change. And yep. as you, you know, it's not. Nope. <laughs> it, you know, just like I said, you know, which is like with the expos, right? that for the longest cannabis expos were really, really the thing. And people had huge amounts of general admission. People would drive for miles to go to these expos. Right. Well, now that it's been around, it's like, okay, if I can get it in a gas station, why am I going to an expo? Yeah, just like gas station sushi. Which I've never done gas station, but I've done supermarket sushi. That's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know there isn't good uh, gas station sushi? Hey, it can be good anywhere. Uh, my trips to Japan, 7-Eleven in Japan sells sushi, and it's pretty good. I'm not going to discount a true gas station having it. Oh, and I went to a sushi bar in Huntsville, Alabama that was built in an old gas station. I think that counts. It's gas right. station sushi, yeah. right? Yeah. So, okay. Oh, we can't close unless we know what what you got going on at Uppercut. Currently working on Music Cares, which is the fundraising arm of the Grammys, and then uh, Super Bowl, and then NBA All-Star Game. Where's the Super Bowl this year? Glendale, Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, so that's just a short hop. Yeah. Is that driving distance? It's, it teeters on the edge. It's like if some place is four hours away, I'll drive it. It will like Vegas to me is always like, no, I could drive that. This is a little longer than that. It's like the six hour range. Uh, and then, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, NBA All-Star game is in Salt Lake City this year. So hopefully it won't be too snowy in February. Well, you could always go in a little early and go up to Park City. Yeah, that's true. Oh, oh. And I have, uh, I just got my jury summons. So got to. See if I can work in some jury duty. Well, how did show business people get out of it normally? You can file to say that uh, you have work-related 
uh, deal. And actually, the week that they did want me to work on this is the same. Do jury duty is the same week as Super Bowl. Oh, so, come so, on. Yeah. That, it, being at the work in the Super Bowl can't get you out of jury duty. <laughs> well, I don't want to live in that country. So you, it's, you know, with the lovely interweb, yeah, I could apply to change it. And I changed it. And I think you can move it again, but eventually, you know, you got to be in the pool and make the phone call and all that. I would say that, you know, try to give out your personal information to get a hold of you for work, but you don't need it. <laughs> hey, yeah, I do. After March to June, I'm a little bit uh, light. <laughs> so, For those people who like a world-class editor-producer, it's it's Mark Step at Uppercut Media. Yes. Uh, UppercutMedia.com is the uh, website. My email is step.uppercut at gmail.com. And that's S-T-E-P-P dot U-P-P-E-R-C-U-T. At Tennessee Homegrown, we got a bunch of cool new products. So if you want to go in tnhomegrown.com, check them out. We'd love it. Otherwise, this is Harold Jarbo, a.k.a. The Old Hemp Farmer with mark step <laughs> yeah and as always keep one eye on the market and the other eye on the weather thanks folks thank you see you next time full contact cannabis is a tennessee homegrown and uppercut media production you can find tennessee homegrown on facebook linkedin and twitter visit our website tnhomegrown.com for more background and information covered in our podcast. Post-production services provided by Uppercut Media and can be reached at uppercutmedia.com.